Well, tomorrow, I, I have my tree decorated. Do you have it decorated yet? Oh, I uh, not quite. I'm getting there. I, I have my tree decorated with the uh, entrails of Zionists mm. uh, and all my Zionist masters because, you know, tomorrow, big day, big day. You know, global jihad, day of death, destruction, and blood. It's going to be, I mean... Those who, you know, follow Iran and Hamas and Hezbollah and the IRGC, you know, they're excited. And uh, so we're celebrating that tomorrow. So Mm. stay safe. Today, a fascinating show. You want to understand really what's going on in the world and how, you know, something on this this whole Israel thing with uh, Ukraine hasn't felt right. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. They didn't get the funding and then... This just happens, etc., etc. Yeah, it didn't feel right, but we explain why it doesn't feel right. There is a plan that is being followed. That's happening. Uh, give me thirty minutes in that part of the the uh, uh, the podcast, and you'll understand the world clearer than anybody else that you you know or can meet today. Um, also, we talked about Anthony Fauci with uh, Senator Rand Paul. Um, a lot on Israel, but more really on our government. If you think $6 billion that Biden gave, you know, unfroze, if you will, for Iran is a problem, we're going to show you the $50 billion that he actually uh, had facilitated to make sure that Iran gets all of their money and can sell oil while we are shutting everything down. That's all on today's podcast. Brought to you by Home Title Lock. Uh, I'm here with Herb Herbertson, uh, and he is... You you know, you were a guy who were you were stealing houses. Let's call it I was stealing houses. Okay, all right. And mm. and you're a con artist. I'm a con artist, con artist how, yes. How, how many houses have you stolen? Uh, 11 frillion. 11 frillion? Yes. That's a lot of the, the houses. So how do you do it exactly? Well, um, I mean, don't give anything away, but first I look at the documents online mm-hmm. and then I forge them <laughs> and then I have control of the house. Right. And these idiots, they don't, they don't protect themselves at all. So I just take it and then take out loans against the equity. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's pretty. It's really hard to talk a banker <laughs> into doing that while I have this voice. <laughs> But, but somehow or another, you've done it. I do it. Yeah. It's just that when, easy. When you were growing up, did you have a choice of, of being a good guy with a voice like that? <laughs> no. No. You're okay. pretty much lumped right in with criminals. <laughs> right. That's horrible. But listen, you can stop thieves like this horrible, horrible guy by hey! going, going to home title lock. Protect your home from the invisible gap. Check your home's title right now at HomeTitleLock.com. Be sure you use the promo code BECK. They'll send you a complete scan of your home's title, and your first 30 days of triple lock title protection is free. HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code BECK. HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code BECK. Here's the podcast. You're listening to... The best of the Glenn Beck program. We have uh, Chip Roy on with us now. Hey, Chip, how are you? Doing fine, Glenn. How are you? Uh, uh, good. I, I I wish we had Jim Jordan going up today. Uh, you vote today, right? 
Uh, well, we're not sure. Uh, we, we, you know, yesterday we had the conference meeting. Uh, yeah. I offered uh, an amendment that was designed to ensure that we came to a conclusion uh, to this uh, as a conference before we brought it out. We thought it was important to be united. And frankly, it was rejected and steamrolled by the kind of old guard establishment in this town who said, oh, you're trying to change the rules at the last minute. You're Stacey Abrams and all sorts of crazy stuff. And Stacey it, just, yeah, no, you, you can't you can't even make up the, stu- the the silliness. I mean, all we literally did was propose an amendment to say once we pick the, the nominee, like our normal rules from us, from Republicans, that we validate that that individual has the votes. The reason I wanted to do that, Glenn, was because it was very clear to me that Steve had problems getting to 217. And uh, I wasn't 100 percent sure about Jim either. And I thought we as a family ought to figure it out. That's it. This was not complicated stuff. And everybody went to the mic and said, oh, you're going to delay it. We got to go. We got to move and do this. This will slow things down. Well, guys, guess what? We just walked into a cul-de-sac and we don't have a speaker. If Steve had the votes, we would be on the floor. Um, right now, Steve doesn't have the votes. So um, we've, we've got a conference meeting at 12 today, 1215, I think. And uh, we're going to sit down, hopefully, as a family and, and hash this out as we should have done 24 hours ago. So um, we'll see what happens today. And uh, look, I still think uh, Jim is a strong and viable candidate. Oh, he's great. And um, and I think we ought to try to unite around Jim. And that's going to be my point in the conference today. And one last point for you and your listeners. I was prepared to uh, try to work with the family. And if they chose Steve, let's let's try to unite around Steve. But we got to hash it out behind closed doors if he can get to 217. But when they took our good faith effort, which was an across ideological spectrum effort, uh, Glenn, it was me and Brian Fitzpatrick, right? I mean, our voting cards don't line up, you know, real well. (laughs) Um, And some of us across the party, we all sat down and we said, hey, here's an approach that will get this done. Let's do this. And man, they called in all the usual plays. K Street lobbyists were burning the phones down night before last. They got out all their talking points and had these old bulls go to the microphone and say, you're destroying the institution. So guys... All we're trying to do is have a uh, have a decision behind uh, the in the in the room behind closed doors as a family and then bring it out, which is fine. And at the end of the day, uh, we have uh, uh, now burned another day. Now we're going to go back and I'm still going to be advocating for Jim. I think he can unite us. We need a warrior who can communicate, uh, who's all in to go beat uh, Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and uh, do this for the American people. I have to tell you, um, you know. He is a great communicator. He is. He would be truly effective. He is not afraid of communicating. He is not afraid of, of stating the position of uh, the right. I, I, I just don't understand other than they think that he would be far too right. Yeah, I'm sorry. He is a conservative. You know, uh, he, he is standing up against things like genital mutilation and uh you know corruption and all these kinds of things that i guess maybe some people want to play footsie with but i don't um but good luck uh i'm just i just worry that we're going to get something worse than scalise and by the way i say this with all with with all love and respect for uh for steve he's battling cancer yeah, that's a that is a worry for members of the conference. And look, I'm a cancer survivor. I went through chemo, and look, I'm praying for Steve, and I wish him well, and he's a patriot. And look, our differences are not significant, but but there is, and and, and I I just don't wish it for him. I mean, right, to have to go right. through this treatment while you're Speaker of the House, and I think it'd be very hard. 
Um, and that's between him and his wife and God and, and his yeah. doctors to figure that out. But, but, but it is a concern for a lot of members. It is part of the reason why I think he's having trouble getting to 217. But at the end of the day, for me, the next man up mentality, the, the hey, let's just do another person who's been in Washington for 20 years, uh, you know, that's the you know, majority leader and boom, you're the speaker. You know, as opposed to somebody who's not really of the swamp. Now, like Jim's been here for you know a decade plus or however long, but but he's but not we've swamp. Got, but he, he's not of the swamp. He is not of this town. And you know, this is why I think we need a a trajectory change, Glenn. Yes. I mean, that's what I try to tell people. It's something different. We've got to shake things up because our country is burning down around us. Our borders are wide open. We're spending money we don't have. We're you know funding proxy wars that and you know are endless. Uh, we're, we're, you know, driving up inflation through our bad decisions. We're funding the cultural war against our people. And, you know, Jim's got a heart of a warrior to go do this and it's time to change. And, and if the old guard thinks that the status quo is working, someone show me, someone show me what they're proud of that Congress has done over the last 30 or 40 years, besides essentially go through the same tax cut debates every two years. Yeah. And, and I, I, go ahead, go ahead. Go, no, no, that's look, I think we need a fundamental shift, a trajectory shift. And that's why I'm still backing Jim. And we'll take that to the conference. I'm not trying to be the proverbial, you know, what in the punch bowl. What I am trying to do is force our conference to face, you know, squarely the fact that the American people are sick of Washington and sick of the swamp. We need something different. We need a change. And that's what we need to be talking about today at noon. Will it make a difference at all? If people call. Yes, absolutely. We're at a, we're at a game time decision right now for Republicans. Who is going to be the face of the Republican Party going out and arguing with Joe Biden, arguing with Chuck Schumer, heading into one of the most important elections in the history of this country? Who's going to be making that argument and leading the charge? And I think Jim has demonstrated a willingness to take on the status quo, but also work with people in town to figure out how to get um, you know, get things done and to, and to, and to work across the conference. So, you know, people calling in would be helpful. Um, this is not a slap against Steve. I mean, no, Lord it's knows. Not. I mean, you know, no, he was not. shot and I know, you know, he, and, 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 and I got great affection for Steve, but this is just something I think that we need to unite. I don't think Steve has the votes and I, I want us to try to make a good faith effort to, to get Jim right. the votes and let's march forward. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have so much to ask you, but let me just uh, let me wrap it up with this question. The Israeli aid tied to Ukraine. That's what everybody's trying to do. Is that what's going to happen here? Is there a swampier frigging thing to do? There is not to say that we're going to go say that the minimal aid that Israel would, would require or request, whatever that is. And I haven't seen a number given the circumstances, right? We, we do three and a half billion or so, you know, every year in our budget, um, which, which pays back to us, by the way, in terms of our relationship with them at Iron Dome and, you know, front lines of security against our enemies in the Middle East. But, but we've, you know, if we're going to say, oh, no, we're going to do Ukraine, but you, I mean, Israel, but no, you got to lump in uh, Ukraine. You know how much they want for Ukraine? $80 billion. Now, I don't know if that's what they want to lump in in this installment, but I can promise you that's where they want to go for the next year. And we should not lump them together. Any aid we give, by the way, including to Israel, should be paid for. 
We can pay for it out of the ridiculous programs that the, the, the Biden administration expanded, like, for example, I don't know, 87,000 IRS employees. Or I don't know, how about the Inflation Reduction Act, which is crushing American energy and empowering China? Why don't we cut it out of that ridiculous subsidy program for the rich white liberals who drive their Teslas around and pat themselves on the back, feeling good about themselves while they destroy jobs for hardworking Americans? We should pay for it out of those ridiculous programs, whatever we spend, and we should have an honest, open debate about Ukraine before $1 goes. And let me be very clear, not $1 should go to Ukraine at all until we've dealt with HR2 in the border, if anything goes to Ukraine. So these are the conversations we ought to be having. Lumping them together is asinine. Well, I will tell you, um, you know, uh, I, I think we need to look into what this administration has done with Iran. Uh, I think yep. they are gravely uh, responsible for what is going on because we just we're giving them money. And, you know, Hamas even said that's why we're taking American hostages. And by the way, Chip, can somebody please tell the president it requires him to pick up the phone and say, I want some gray tails every 45 minutes taking off from an airport in Israel full of Americans. That's all that's required. There's no study. There's no nothing. I, I, I do not disagree. I mean, we need we need to see serious effort. Um, uh, and, and frankly, this like the president's not capable of that. So we have to force the people around the president to uh, come to terms with what it means to, you know, have our allies being attacked and Americans being uh, killed. I think, what, 22 Americans now yes. is what I, the last data point I saw. I think it's 24 um, this morning. Is it 24? OK, I think so. And uh, so, you know, we've got we've got dead Americans. We have American hostages. Um, you know, I might give a shout out to my friend Corey Mills, my colleague who's over there trying to help, you know, get people out of Israel um, uh, who need who need assistance. Um, but we, we need leadership right now to, to, to go protect Americans, to make sure that Israel um, has what they need to, to hold the line. But importantly, that we're not just going to go write another, you know, uh, check that's going to be a, you know, Christmas tree for Ukraine and every other wish list like this town operates. So give me an example, Glenn. All last year, we were fighting over how to cut spending, right? And so the, the big deal that was struck on the inflation, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, on the, uh, you know, whatever, debt deal, yeah. was a 1% cut, okay? A 1% cut off of 2023. Not enough in yours, in my view. But okay, a 1% cut. Defense went up $28 billion. Non-defense got cut about, I don't know, 8%, okay? Well, that 1% cut would be about $16 billion, well, Congress spent $16 billion on that CR 10 days ago for disaster relief in like an hour. So you had a whole discussion over the year about how to cut $16 billion, and then you spend $16 billion on offset in a blink. That's what's wrong with this town. Okay. But, you know. All right. Chip, go do your job. Thank you so much. Thank you for, so much for standing up for what is right and being a voice for many of us who feel very alone. Thank you. Well, we're, we're going to keep fighting, Glenn. Just look, you know, we got to keep faith. Yep, the we, Lord calls us to keep faith. We cannot quit. Congressman, right, Congressman Chip Roy um, out of Texas. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. First of all, thank you for everything you're doing on Anthony Fauci. I, I so appreciate everybody. Everybody will jump on something while it's hot. It's very few people who will actually follow through when everybody else has moved on. Thank you for being one of the last men standing and and holding 
this country and our our medical uh, uh, our government medical uh, establishment to uh, to answer for this. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. You know, when it started, I was willing to give uh, Anthony Fauci the benefit of the doubt. I didn't know who he was. I figured he was just wanting the best for his country. And with each successive time I met him or interacted with him, I became, I became more and more aware that he was being dishonest. Yeah. And then it became um, not only obvious but certain because we found his private emails. And in his private emails, he was saying exactly the opposite of everything he said in public. And when he finally gets before me in 2021 in front of uh, Congress under oath and says absolutely unequivocally the NIH has never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China, it was an out-and-out lie. And it's actually proved to be a lie from his own statements from private emails in 2020. So, yeah, without, without question, he should have gone to jail. I referred him to the Department of Justice twice. But the only thing I ask is when he finally goes to jail, if he ever goes to jail, we don't do what the Democrats did and said 17 FBI agents to arrest you know, him in his underwear in the morning. We do the civilized thing and send a note to his attorney and let him report to prison. But uh, he should be in prison for, for, for lying to Congress. So how, I mean, this is really hard to say because this, uh, I mean, millions of people died all around the world. How responsible is the United States government and Anthony Fauci for all of those lives? We funded, uh, the United States has funded gain-of-function research for more than a decade. Over 200 million was spent on identifying viruses and then recombining them, basically taking the part of one virus and putting it on another to see if they could be made to be more infectious in humans. So there's a great deal of culpability on the part of the United States, but really one man was behind most of it. Going back to 2010, uh, Anthony Fauci approved of this research where they took the avian flu, which is mostly among chickens, but when it affects humans, it's about 50% lethal. A researcher discovered he could make it aerosolized and infect humans. Mm. And everybody said, oh my God, this will be a, a roadmap for terrorists to create destruction and mayhem throughout the world, which shouldn't be published. But Anthony Fauci came forward and said, no, even if this kind of research causes a pandemic, it will be worth the knowledge. And these are his exact words from 2012. Even if gain-of-function research creates a pandemic, it'll be worth it. The knowledge will be worth it. But I think a lot of families who had family members who died would, would dispute that and would say, you know what, it isn't. And many scientists now say, you know what, there really hasn't been any knowledge gained from these. These, these scientists are curious, you know, can we take Ebola and make it more infectious through the air? But it's really a death wish. And many scientists are saying it's a gamble that civilization shouldn't take. I have to tell you, the only thing we learned is how totalitarian uh, every government on the planet seems to be. Yeah. You know, we start out with the passage from, from China, what it was like in China, as people were being walled and sealed into their apartments. They were trying to get onto their balconies. They were singing and trying to communicate with people because they were walled up in their apartments. They couldn't get food. And the drones were sent up to, to greet them, the state drones from the Communist Party, and they would ring out to the people in a, in a woman's voice saying, resist your soul's desire to be free. That's what these drones were telling people on their balconies in China. Jeez. Wasn't much better here. Wasn't much better in the United States or in England or Australia. And it wasn't surprising it happened in China, but what's surprising here is that you had many government officials saying we should emulate China because they're doing such a good job. So... Um how much of this is being buried because uh, America doesn't want to be the big bad guy 
that caused this and, you know, fear of, you know, all kinds of repercussions and how much liability or culpability lies on the doorstep of China? Without question, it's being buried within the United States. We accept that in China, they're never going to be honest about this. But in the United States, this is an extensive cover-up and an extensive conspiracy. And you say, oh my goodness, how could it be a conspiracy? Are they all getting together in one room? No, it's sort of the way George Carlin described it. George Carlin said, you know, conspiracy theory is not necessary where interests converge. The interest here is not in letting anybody know that you funded this research in Wuhan and it led to the pandemic. So there's dozens of these grants throughout eight different agencies. All of it's unclassified and they won't give it to me. HHS is worse than the CIA. I've gotten more information out of the CIA than I've gotten out of HHS. HHS will not send any documents. None of them are classified. They send them over and there are 250 pages redacted at a time. They're hiding and covering up for this. And the conversations that we reveal in the book between Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci are that this is to defend science. And to me, it's to defend the business of science, the billions of dollars changing hands. But they have vowed to keep this stuff secret. And so far, uh, we've had a very difficult time. All we have learned is from federal judges revealing through freedom of information. And there's going to be more of that coming, too, because I think Anthony Fauci was communicating on non-government email. And when that comes out, I think it's going to be a blockbuster. So um, when you when this would go to uh, trial, if it would ever go to trial, is there enough out now um, to not just get Anthony Fauci, but um, all of the people that were involved? I mean, I I was so disturbed when we did uh, a special on this early on. Um, We found enough. I think, smoking gun ourself to say this is most likely what happened. But what we found was there was so much money um, being made and deals with our CIA, deals with the Pentagon, uh, deals with the, these giant companies that, that millions were coming in and being profited uh, from this. On the narrow question of the felony of lying to Congress, without question, we have the evidence that he lied to Congress because we have his own emails and basically admitting a year in advance that they were doing gain-of-function research that was being funded by the U.S. and that the virus looked to be doctored. So, yeah, we have him online. We also have one of his assistants who has said in, in email, don't use your government email. I always use my Gmail because they keep doing federal records releases, federal FOIA requests by government email, so he's advising others, he's admitting he's breaking the law because it's against the law in the executive branch to use a private email. You're supposed to use a government email. Mm. And so he's admitting that he's broken the law. But I think by so admitting, I think that his records are subpoenaable and we need to find out who he was communicating with off the records. We also have uh, some of uh, Fauci's assistants saying, uh, just talk to me on this. We want to leave. We, we want to keep uh, Fauci's hands clean on the dirt. You know, I'll give you the dirt. We're going to keep Fauci's hands clean on this. So there's just so much to be had there. But unfortunately, you know, we have the most partisan attorney general we've likely ever had. And oh, yeah. over not being on the Supreme Court. And he's never going to touch this with a 10-foot pole. Could we still do it? I don't know the statute of limitations if we get a Republican president. But I promise you, it doesn't matter either way. We're going to keep pursuing it. And to my mind, even more important than culpability of, of Fauci is trying to prevent this from happening again. We quote a scientist in this book who says that the next pandemic that comes from a lab could kill five 
to 50% of the population. This one reminds you, it, it was bad, but it was 0.3%. 0.3% mortality, compare that to 5% or 50%. 50%, we're talking about something that could set civilization back thousands of years or could even lead to that, you know, you know, but, massive starvation and the end of civilization. But Rand, you know that this, I mean, we're dealing with a death cult in many ways. These, because of global warming and all this other crap, they don't mind that. They don't think that that's so bad. We, how can we stop uh, doing these crazy experiments when you when you have the CIA bribing uh, the researchers to change their uh, their opinion? Yeah, it's weird, sort of the death cult, because the death cult's worried about the climate, which I am too, and I think in five hundred million years it's going to be a really hot place right. to figure out how to get to other planets that aren't going to be so hot in 500 million years. But the, the, the death potential of uh, you know, gain-of-function viruses is more like nuclear weapons. It's a yes. much more immediate threat that someone has to do it about. And the comparison is apt because many of the scientists who want to reform this say it should be treated like nuclear weapons or it should be a separate independent agency. The people overseeing it cannot be people receiving the money. So, for example, Christian Anderson is one of Fauci's lieutenants and yes-men he had a $9 million grant sitting on Fauci's desk. And initially he said, this isn't a conspiracy theory, it's not a fringe theory, the most likely solution or answer is that this thing leaked from a lab. But then everybody kept saying, well, China will be unhappy and it'll, re it'll reverse all these relations we have with China. And you remember you have a $9 million grant sitting on Fauci's desk and all of a sudden he flips the switch. Three days later he's writing in a prestigious journal about how there is no way this could have come from a lab. Not just that it probably didn't come from a lab, in the beginning of the article, Proximal Origins, he said, this is not a laboratory construct. So he basically says, with absolute certainty. And then they write another letter to Lancet, and they call everybody conspiracy theorists. And it's like, what I ask is, anybody on our side, anybody that thinks it came from the lab, still holds out at least some chance it came from animals. And we don't call people on the other side conspiracy theorists. We just say we think our argument is stronger. But the other side took to ad hominem and to attack right. us. Like right. I've never, ever seen in a scientific debate. It wasn't science. Um, we're talking to Senator Rand Paul. Uh, Deception, the great uh, COVID cover-up is the book that is out, that he has uh, put together all of the evidence of this. Senator, I just want to remind you, you're on FCC-regulated air, airwaves, so please watch your language. Um, the... Uh, the uh, <laughs> Uh, the Ex excrement. I meant excrement. Yes, thank you. the The last uh, the, the last thing I want to talk to you about, and I, I don't want to get into. You are a libertarian, and so you are staying out. You are for minding our own business. A very George Washington kind of idea, minding our own business. And I know you don't have a problem with Israel defending itself uh, in the way it feels fit. Don't tell us what to do, and we won't tell you what to do. And so I understand your position. Could I ask if it wouldn't a good libertarian uh, point of view or, or movement on this is to rat out our own administration and State Department on the monies that they are enabling Iran to get and and enabling them to to do all of the things that they uh, are doing all around the world? There's. There's a great story in the Federalist today about fifty billion dollars uh, of what we are, uh, what what this administration has done to give them enough money to do all of this terror. 
Without question, we've been funding both sides. We've been funding people and countries who chant death to America, the great Satan, they burn our flag. And we've been all sending them money, mostly Democrats, but really a lot of Republicans have been hand in hand with this. So years ago, I tried to stop these martyr payments where Palestinians go in and blow themselves up. Yes. A fund to give to the families. I tried to stop this. And I wanted to stop it completely where no more funds went to the Palestinian Authority. They finally did pass my idea, but they abbreviated it some. It was called the Taylor Force Act, and somebody else got the credit, but they didn't eliminate all the money. I would eliminate all the money. There's no reason to give any money to governmental authorities in Palestine, and Palestinian Authority, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also no reason to give money to the Taliban. I mean, look, I didn't want to stay in Afghanistan any longer. I thought it was a disaster how we got out. And I also think it's a disaster to still keep giving money to the government that's now in power that basically shot us, yes. shot us on the way out. There's yes. $1.7 billion left in that fund. So when people ask me, if Israel needs more money, would you favor it? I said, look, I will not oppose it as long as it's paid for by taking it from somewhere else where we're giving it to either enemies of Israel, enemies of us, or just enemies of Western civilization. So there's a ton of money. There's like $22 billion that we just allocated that's refundable tax credits to semiconductor companies in our country that are trillion-dollar companies. These are just basically corporate welfare. Why in the world would we give NVIDIA money? I'm all for them. You make lots of money. I'm pro-companies. But I'm not for us giving them any money. So if you think you want to give money to other countries, I just insist it's paid for. But what they're planning on doing, and the rumor I hear is, it's going to be more money for Israel, more money for Ukraine, and yeah. more money for Taiwan. It's going to be like a 50 or $100 billion package. It's, and this is, this is a month after we supposedly had a debt ceiling deal. They uh -huh. won't count it. Uh -huh. It's all a lie. They will call this all emergency, and they won't count it. Uh -huh. And there's still no evidence yet that Israel's short of weapons because we gave them an extra billion. They get $3.2 billion a year. We gave them an extra yeah. billion last December for Iron Dome. So I'm more than willing to help out, but it's got to be paid for, and uh, I will introduce reductions in the budget elsewhere to pay for it if it comes up. Good. Thank you very much. Senator Rand Paul, I appreciate it. name of his new book is Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. All right. Justin Haskins is uh, with us. He is my co-author uh, and researcher for The Great Reset and the book that is out now, Dark Future. He is also with the Heartland Institute. He is the Socialism uh, Research Center Director. Uh, Justin, how are you, first of all? Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> I think the world's about to burst into flames. So yeah. I'm, with that in mind, I'm mm. doing okay. Yeah. Survive. You know, it's weird. I've talked to so many people, and they all have answered exactly the same way. You mean despite everything that's going on in the world? I'm good. Thank God I'm, I'm American. Good. Yeah. Thank God yeah. I don't live on that side of the world. Yeah, but that side of the world, I think, is coming to this side of the world. I think if you look just at uh, the, what is it, 5 million or is it 7 million? 7 million people that have come across our border, isn't it, S uh, since Biden? I saw that number today. and don't I don't know the was, number off the top of my head, but I can't Yeah, it is shocking It's amount. in the millions. Very yeah, high. it's in yes, the millions. I thought high. it was four, but I read today it was seven. Uh, how many how many of these are sleeper cells? Honestly. Okay. <laughs> Before we get into all of that, <laughs> let's just explain what's happening in the Middle East. And Justin, you and I have been going back and forth here recently, and I, I took you as an audience member uh, through this uh, a few days ago. 
But there is much more, and Justin has been doing all of the research on this. You know that I've been talking about Alexander Dugan for a long time, and people have mocked and laughed, and it's the same thing that they said when when I said the anarchist, the socialist, the communist, and the Islamist will all work together to destroy the West and the Western way of life. You are now seeing that in action. You don't have to wait so long because it's already in action when I talk to you about Alexander Dugan. I've been saying to you that his philosophy, if not him in particular, his philosophy has been shopped around even here in the United States without people really understanding what's going on. Unfortunately, those who are against the United States, against the Western world, they do understand his philosophy, and this is going to unlock not only Iran, I'm sorry, Ukraine, but it's also going to unlock what's happening with Iran, Israel, Hamas, and the Armenian genocide that is going on right now. Justin. Right. So... In Dark Future, in the book that we put out earlier this year, a lot of that was written a long time ago. Yeah. We talked extensively about Alexander Dugan and the influence that he had on the thinking about Ukraine. What we And we mentioned in the book that one of the main goals is to reshape the global landscape, to move toward a capital T traditionalist model where it's it's the he calls them atlanticists it's this global sea powers meaning america canada european powers versus this more landlocked countries the more traditional eurasia right and and when we say traditional we mean this is what he actually says pre-enlightenment okay getting rid of all of modernity now, you, you need to understand, I, f- I hope you remember what we went through and what I talked to you for years about, Fabian Socialists. The Fabian Socialist window, if you don't know what it is, look it up right now. The Fabian Socialist window, Fabian Socialists were in England, and they were proud. They, their symbol was a wolf with sheep's clothing tied onto it, okay? They... They are the progressives of of uh, England. A lot of this stuff came over here. Their idea was, and in the stained glass window, it shows them taking a bellows to to fan the flames of fire, and they're heating the world up. And underneath it says um, uh, to mold it uh, into mold the world to I can't remember closer to our heart's desire. But what you have to understand, and this is I'm saying this now because it's the same philosophy as Dugan. It's not just heat it up and then pound it. It is to heat it up and shatter it. That's what's happening. Every time we are being pulled apart, they are shattering and tearing us apart. United we stand, divided we fall. But they want the entire thing destroyed before they begin to rebuild. Right. And and Alexander Dugan, highly influential figure. He's considered Putin's brain. A lot of the philosophy that's been adopted by the highest figures in Russia at the Kremlin, it's been well documented that he has been one of the most influential thinkers on all those people for a long, long, long time, time, going back to the 90s. 90s even. Yep. And so Alexander Dugan, in his works, 
and we we noted this in the book, if you read his works, you see these things happening now. Things that he predicted, things that he thought was essential for the return of the Russian imperial renaissance and the traditionalist powers of the East, meaning China and Iran and, uh, and others, Turkey and others, for them to beat the Great Reset elites, because he doesn't like the Great Reset, okay? He's not, he's not pro-Great Reset. This is a different thing. In order to beat them, we have to align our traditionalist interests, create a multipolar world instead of having a world that's just dominated by Western thinking. And we need to create spheres of influence and alliance between all of these powers that, that we think, although we don't have anything in common on the specifics, we all want traditionalist, capital T, values. So he specifically points out that the radical Islamists actually have more in common with Vladimir Putin than they do with the West because they're not liberal. They're not liberal in the traditional this, sense. This, this, what, what, what um, helps him make this case is the billions of dollars. The fact that the United States Embassy in Moscow is flying on one side the American flag and the rainbow flag on the other side of the entrance of the Moscow U.S. Embassy. This culture that we are pushing out, that we ourselves are split on, they're not split on it. They don't believe it, especially in Muslim countries. And so when Dugan is pointing out that we have more in common with the Muslim, they're not saying that we can coexist and cozy up. Remember, Russia slaughtered the Muslims when they rose up, slaughtered them. It's what I said to you in 2009. They will put themselves together as an enemy of my enemy is my friend until they shatter everything. And then they'll work out their differences after they've gotten rid of us. That's right. So when they say, why did they hit us on 9-11? Well, they hate us because we're free. No, they don't. No, they don't. Now you can understand they hate us because they think we are so morally corrupt, which we are. Right. He wrote a book just before the invasion of Ukraine. It was published just before that um, in 2021, and it's called The Great Awakening, The Great Reset versus The Great Awakening. You read this on the air mm -hmm. a couple of days ago, and in it, he makes it very clear that the coming new world order is going to be uh, a multipolar world where you have spheres of influence, where these traditionalist new empires, he wants new, new empires. empires. Russia will have its sphere of influence. Iran will have its sphere. Turkey has its sphere. China has its sphere. And ever since the war in Ukraine, everything that he talked about has played out exactly the way that he said that it was going to play out. Take us through this, because this is fascinating. Right. So uh, the invasion of Ukraine is part of that. OK, that's the first step. He believes that in order for the world to be remade and to, to break down the West, Russia has to lead the way. And, and usher in this new era of imperialism. This is what he says. He wants imperialism. So Ukraine is, a, he very clearly points this out. Ukraine is, is one of the first places that needs to be dealt with. So, of course, not long after that book is published, Ukraine is invaded by Russia. Okay? Crimea. Yes. Not long. Now, now fast forward a year later, and you have uh, Russia and China and India and these and these other powers that he talks about Russia needing to ally with is developing the most advanced economic relationship 
uh, of Eastern powers that has ever existed, I think, in BRICS. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is Brazil, Russia, uh, India, China, and I always forget the South Africa, I mm -hmm. think is the last one. So they're developing this economic relationship. They're bringing in powers from the Middle East. Alexander Dugan himself is going to the Middle East, to Iran, 20 plus times to meet with leaders to try to convince them to join this new economic alliance. Shortly after... Iran joins this economic alliance shortly after he starts bringing in more of these powers. What happens? War breaks out in the Middle East. You have Iran waging a proxy war in Israel using Palestine, right? And now you have Armenia going to war with, you have Armenia and Azerbaijan now having a conflict. That's all predicted by Alexander Dugin as well. He, in fact, explain this because he talks about Azerbaijan, which is um, uh, now doing genocide on the Armenians. The Armenians are the first Christian country. Uh, so what, what is happening? Turkey uh, and Azerbaijan have wanted to get rid of Armenia forever. So this has been going under the radar. The Nazarene Fund, by the way, is on the ground in the area. I'll leave it at that. Trying to get these people out and get them to safety. This is where I I feel like there's an there's no way that anyone can can convince me now that the Dugan playbook. And I'm not saying he's like the no. figure shadowy mastermind figure. No, he's just. Put it together in a way that everybody who's on that side goes, well, that's good for me. I like that. That's exactly right. This was the thing that that nailed it for me. OK, 19 in the 1990s, he publishes a book that is one of the most influential books in, in, in Russia. It's called Foundations of Geopolitics. Da, 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 da. The standoff at the border is heating up between Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the federal government. Politicians will never let a crisis go to waste. We have been invaded. The crisis is being used by Republicans as a photo op by the Democrats to expand their voting base. More than 85% of everybody reaching the border is coming in. That's the definition of an open border. Just down the road, you can get in no problem, no Humvees, no farm guards. What people don't realize is there's a way around everything. The Blaze Originals team traveled to the Texas border, ground zero of the most controversial news story of 2024. With some experts estimating over 4 million border crossings in 2023 alone, we embedded with the Take Our Border Back convoy to investigate. What if the entire narrative you thought you knew was a lie? Go watch the real story of Texas versus the feds and how the elites use the border crisis against us by visiting realbordercrisis.com and use code TEXAS for $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV.